Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the public transit industry worldwide. Today, we have an action-packed podcast for you with headline news and then a newsmaker interview with Tom Garand, who is the executive director of the KC Streetcar Authority in Kansas City, who recently received a $174 million grant from the federal government to expand their streetcar service. He'll tell you all about it on today's Newsmaker interview. Then, of course, Mike's Minute, Alea Carey's Messaging Minute, which is great this week, and a look at the future of public transportation. Be sure to stay tuned for the entire podcast to get all the segments on Comfort's Corner. And first, a look at headline news. Big news out of Washington this week. This is Inauguration Week, and part of the Biden transition plan included a potential $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, which would still need to be adopted by Congress. But the incoming administration is proposing it, and it includes $20 billion in relief to the hardest hit public transit agencies. In a fact sheet on the plan, the administration said safe and dependable public transit systems are critical for a robust and equitable economic recovery. Of course, we agree with that here. You may recall back in March of 2020, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, called CARES, provided the industry with $25 billion, followed by the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2021 that was signed right at the end of 2020 that added an additional $14 billion. But many of the largest transit systems in America had said that they still were running out of money due to low ridership and lack of uh, revenue from the fare box and also other income which comes to them through sales tax and other means. So CEO of the New York MTA, Patrick Foy, called the American Rescue Plan a strong start. In other news, the Proterra Electric Bus Company announced this week that they are going public. They're merging with Arclight Clean Transition Corporation in a deal valued at $1.6 billion dollars. The deal will provide the U.S. electric bus manufacturer with $648 million in cash, reportedly, and $415 million from investors. Shares of Arclight nearly doubled to $23.4 billion in early trading. And uh, so they are going to go public, and it looks like they'll be listed on the NASDAQ registry. And uh, it'll be called the uh, PTRA, will be the ticker symbol on NASDAQ once they go public. So congratulations to Proterra um, and all their leadership team for making this deal and giving them a lot more money to do a lot more work. John Walsh, a senior vice president of sales at Proterra, has been a good friend of our show, as has Mike Bismeyer. And Mike, of course, gives Mike's Minute each uh, episode of Comfort's Corner. And Mike had a big year this year with Proterra. And at their annual sales meeting, he was honored to receive the Sales Director of the Year Award. Congratulations to Mike Bismeyer for having a great year. In other news, First Transit has entered an agreement with Lyft to provide operations for BikeTown, Portland's all-electric bike share system. The partnership allows First Transit to perform field operations for the 1500 bike share system with roughly 140 stations covering 30 square miles. Operations include battery monitoring, deployment, retrieval, and general rebalancing of bike inventory. And another partnership is going strong kind of demonstrating that microtransit continues to grow, not only here in the U.S., but around the world, as a response to the coronavirus pandemic. You may recall we recently had, as our guest Joshua Shank, on our last Comfort Corner program, and he talked about how Los Angeles Metro 
was just starting a 200 bus pilot program for microtransit covering the city. And now the city of Arlington, Texas, they've had an on-demand public transit system called Via Arlington, reaching around 40% of their city, but now they're expanding it citywide starting this week. Uh, so microtransit will be able to drop, pick up and drop off riders all around the city. Congratulations as they continue to move forward on this important endeavor of microtransit. And finally, Pierce Transit CEO Sue Dreer out in the Western U.S. has announced her plans to retire in the summer of 2021. After 30 years in the transit industry, Dreer started as a bus operator and will complete her career as a CEO. Congratulations to Sue. She, uh, if you want to hear more about her story, you can just tune back in to a previous episode of Transit Unplugged. It was just recently, within the last few months, she was our guest. One of our other previous guests, Eddie Robar, who has been branch manager for transit in Edmonton in Canada, has announced that after almost two decades dedicated to the mobility of the cities, he's decided to take on a new role in the city of Edmonton and will be heading up the fleet and facilities branch of the city. He says he's really excited about the new opportunity and what it will mean and broadening his experience managing cities. He said he'll still be somewhat involved in the transit world as he will oversee transit fleet maintenance. So he'll be still seeing us around the industry. Congratulations to my friend, Eddie Robar. I know that city and county local government management is a blast. Uh, I did it for two counties here in Maryland as county administrator and one of some of my most enjoyable work in the industry. And I'm sure he's going to have a good time there too. Well, that's it for our headline news for today. Now stay tuned for Alea Carey's messaging minute. And then Tom Garand tells us all about Casey Streetcar's expansion, a look at Mike's minute, and then the future of public transportation, all on this episode of Transit Unplugged. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Journalists are under more pressure than ever to do more with less. That's why it's really critical if you wanna land stories in top press that your relationships with reporters be really strong. What are some good ways to keep your connection to journalists healthy? Well, don't just reach out when you have a story. Pick a handful of reporters to devotedly follow, both in the outlets where they publish and on their social media feeds, especially Twitter. Engage with their work, whether it's about transit or something else. Let them know you're reading and watching and paying attention. You might find you can help them update a story they've already run, or send ideas or share insights on their current coverage. When the time does come to pitch a reporter on a story, make sure you're making it as easy as possible for them to cover your news. Keep your communications brief, provide accurate information the first time, include media assets like logos, graphics, and video, and make sure your agency's principals are ready to be interviewed on quick turnaround. And it's true, in any of these interactions, you may not hear back right away or at all. Reporters are pretty swamped. But if you're providing valuable help, you could very well be building the foundation that helps you both get great stories to your audiences. If you'd like to talk more about building great press relations or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y.
This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, and thanks for being with us today on our Newsmaker interview here on Comfort's Corner. And today we're excited to have with us Tom Garand, who is Executive Director at KC Streetcar Authority in Kansas City. And man, you've got big news, Tom. We do. We've got big news. We just uh, we got a big check last week. We're excited. Oh, yeah. I want to hear all about it in just a minute. But, you know, during this time of COVID, when, you know, we've had a pickup in COVID and a lot of people are like, you know, they don't have enough money. You've got a different story. You were able to make things happen. So I, I want to kind of give the setup uh, like baseball, you know, the wind up and then the pitch and then you hit it out of the park for us. So tell us some of the background about your agency, a little about yourself and, and what you guys do there in Kansas City. Sure. So uh, again, Tom Garen with the Kansas City Streetcar Authority. We uh, we've been around since 2016. We opened a 2.2 mo- mile modern streetcar uh, operation in downtown Kansas City, uh, connecting some of our major venues and uh, neighborhoods downtown together. And really, since that time, uh, we've been working closely with business uh, stakeholders, local government, and a host of other folks to figure out how we grow this vision as part of a much broader uh, regional transit vision. So our structure is unique. We've got a board of private investors, honestly, who've really paid in to help launch this, along with local government, along with our partners uh, at Ride KC and Robbie Mackinnon on the regional transit front, all rowing together uh, to really launch Uh, what we're really calling sort of the next generation of transit uh, for Kansas City and downtown. And we've demonstrated that with the two mile project and we're getting ready to about triple the size of our system with the uh, recent announcements. So, yeah, so it's a streetcar authority that has uh, a board of directors. That's, that's right. We've got a board of directors and it's seven private uh, ratepayers who live in our district, and we're, we've got a district that uh, funds the the large, the vast majority of the costs. So they pay a special assessment or property tax and a sales tax. The, wow. idea, the idea being the people who are benefiting from the service are the ones paying for it, Makes and sense. we capture that value through really a revenue capture district, and that's what supports some of our uh, debt service on the capital construction, as well as all of our 100% of our operations and maintenance costs. So our board is half investors, uh, frankly, taxpayers in our district. And then about the the six members are are local appointees uh, from the city of Kansas City. So it really is a public-private partnership in the truest sense. That is great, Tom. Uh, and, And does the city put any money in? City puts in um, about $2 million a year, uh, which is uh, about 15% of the overall program. Okay. It was their contribution for the city's benefits when we started. The cool thing about that is the city's contribution has been capped. And so what that means is it will never grow. And as our rest of our revenues, as we're developing, as we're generating more sales tax through increased economic activity, um, we're seeing great growth in all of these other revenue streams, which will ultimately take pressure off of uh, the, the city's contribution. And then even more uh, exciting, as we grow the system from three to six miles, we're using the same model with the same fixed city contribution. So the same $2 million the city put in to seed the investment of the downtown line is the same money, the same amount of money uh, that they're going to be contributing for a system three times as large that's collecting, you know, 300% more total revenue in all. So it's been a great investment on the local side. 
Yeah. So it, 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 by streetcar, it's, is it a traditional light rail vehicle? Like what we consider light so rail? We use a CAF Urbos 3 vehicle, the same car that you'll see in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, it's a shortened version of cars that you'd see in, in um, Houston uh, and soon to be Boston. So yes, it's a light rail car, uh, 77 yeah. foot long. Catenary wires up top. Uh, yeah, all, all, um, does have some off-wire capability, but by and large, it's 100% a traditional uh, trolley wire overhead, um, you know, in, in street running system. Yes. In the downtown of Kansas City. Right in the, right in the heart of downtown, connecting okay. our major uh, urban neighborhoods downtown, as well as some of our major venues, special event venues and entertainment districts. And how does that tie in with Robbie's operation at KCATA? So uh, the streetcar was always the, the original vision of streetcar for downtown was that it was a downtown circulator. And so it was connecting all of the regional routes and it was and it was a service to really distribute people, connect people downtown. So once they got there, they could very easily move from one one node to the other and um, use transit to do it. And now as we're growing our system, we're actually utilizing the main artery, Main Street, uh, through the heart of the urban core that's going to really become a spine for a regional system. So we'll be connecting east-west bus routes. We'll be connecting uh, routes on the north end and the south end with transit centers integrated with our regional network. And um, yeah, really upgrading the existing uh, main max bus service to streetcar as part of this broader long-term transformation. So Streetcar is really an incremental investment and step at sort of the next generation of transit, but it's very much integrated with, you know, stops and routing uh, and all of the back end systems communication with our regional transit network and Robbie's team does a great job uh, supporting the regional system on, on many of those fronts. And, uh, do you contract it out or do you run it with your own employees? So we have a uh, operations and maintenance contract. We've got a small but mighty team on the streetcar authority that does, you know, management, uh, marketing, um, finance. And then we have a uh, contract. Actually, we ATA provides and RideKC provides, you know, maintenance and scheduling support and many of those items that let us integrate this seamlessly with our regional system. About 15% of the overall program. And do you charge a fare? Uh, we do not. And uh, that was a uh, uh, decision we made early in the life of the project. It's actually ignited a fire under zero fare for the yeah. Kansas City region yeah. uh, through our partnership with RideKC. And our model was really unique. I mentioned this revenue capture model uh, that we have to, to capture special assessments and sales taxes in the district. And so our board made a decision very early that if we could remove the barriers to use, more people would ride. Uh, they would frequent more businesses. They would spend more money. We would capture that growth, that incremental additional revenue on the backside uh, through sales tax and special assessments, increases in value. And it would be good for a streetcar with more ridership, and it would be good for business. And it's proven to be exactly right. Um, it's super supported. We think our ridership's 30 to 40% higher than it would have been with a fair and has totally changed the dynamic for how people view uh, the system and the ease of use. And like I said, it uh, we started in May in May of 2016, zero fare, and and it, the conversation around the region ever since has been how do we move the region to zero fare uh, because the benefits have really been significant. That's great. Uh, and one more question about current things before we head into your big plans for the with the new money and all. Um, how has ridership been impacted by COVID and those kind of things? 
So for us, it's been impacted significantly um, by and large because we've really, well, one, we reduced service by about 50%. And two, obviously, uh, currently on our current route, we're serving the downtown uh, business district. And and we all know, right, uh, big shows, special events, big venues that were a big part of our ridership generation in the past have dried up and have been non-existent. And we've seen fewer uh, downtown employees, obviously working working in a downtown environment, and so um, we've seen ridership uh, drop about 65 percent. So 50 percent service reduction, about a 65 percent reduction in ridership, uh, which is which is what we anticipated uh, in the vicinity of what we anticipated, and uh, we're confident it's going to start bouncing back. Uh, we're going to see we've seen a continued surge of development. People are continuing to invest in and new um, higher density uses up and down the route. And that's just a matter of time before they start activating themselves and before we get out of this uh, COVID dynamic and people, you know, reemerge um, yeah. on the other side. Yeah. So tell us about the new plans and the new money and all that. I mean, big news. It's sure. all over. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, so we've been working, like I said, really ever since we uh, uh, opened the system on proving that people would use it, that the fears were unfounded, and that our city deserved it. And we had been focused on a two different extensions really since we opened in 2016. One of them was a north, a small north, a northern extension to our uh, Missouri Riverfront at Berkeley Riverfront Park, and then a much bigger project that we're referring to that was just announced. Uh, to go south to our University of Missouri-Kansas City campus, which is about three and a half miles south of our current southern terminus, straight down Main Street. So um, just a week, just last week, in fact, we signed a full funding grant agreement for $174 million uh, with FTA to fully fund the southern extension, which is about a $350 million total project cost. That's going to really build, the, I mentioned, build the spine of our regional transit system. It's going to upgrade our Main Street BRT, uh, which was built in 2005 and really has outlived its useful life. Uh, and it's going to transition that to streetcar over the course of the next three to four years. And totally, uh, really lighting a fire under, uh, obviously, economic development investment uh, that will be happening up and down Main Street to the heart of the city. And as I said last week, we're really putting a stake in the ground uh, for investors, for residents, uh, that transit will be here uh, in the future for years and decades to come, and we can build our city around it again. And we're excited about that. And um, it's been literally a project we've talked about for decades, and it's been decades in the making, lots of hard work, lots of failed attempts. And uh, we were able to get it over the uh, finish line on the financing side just last week. And we're excited to get to work on construction in, uh, over the course of the next uh, few years and open in, in late 2024, we believe, early 2025. And then the second extension I mentioned has also been funded through a separate build program, uh, which is about a half mile extension to the north that will build the northern terminus, connect with our Berkeley Riverfront Park and ultimately include a, a transit node there for Northland uh, bus transit connections as well. Wow, that's great, Tom. Well, congratulations to you. I mean, coming coming out with that to, to really help, that's like half the funding, right, for the new construction of the project. Yeah, 50% will be funded through our federal partnership, and and um, it's, it's a new start. It's a full new starts capital investment grant program project, and 
really the first streetcar, uh, modern streetcar project funded through New Starts. You know, we're competing against the biggest transit projects in the country through that program. And it's a really rigorous uh, process that many people uh, warned us about. They said, uh, be careful what, you get in, what you're getting into. Uh, there's lots of rules. There's lots of requirements. There's lots of oversight. And it really comes with the territory, obviously, when you're talking that kind of money. Uh, but our, we were able to navigate the process with a really good local team uh, and, and national team. Uh, HDR is our uh, final designer on, on the project. And we've got a joint venture hired on the construction, which is Stacy Whitbeck and Herzog. Uh, teed up to build the project for us. Uh, so great team that's helped us push it through. Did you have uh, political muscle help with your congressional delegation, et cetera, in Washington? Or how did you get the money? We <laughs> yeah, we, we did. It's a really good question. And we, you know, for those not familiar, Kansas City straddles, uh, the region really straddles Kansas and Missouri. Obviously, our namesake is Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and that, that state line runs straight right down the heart of the region. This project is fully in Missouri, um, but that state line historically had, in some cases, had been an obstacle for us regionally to get stuff done. And in this case, it was exactly the opposite. Uh, we were able to mobilize bipartisan, bi-state support. So we had four senators and Congress, Congress representatives from multiple districts, uh, three districts, the, the Congressman uh, Emanuel Cleaver, um, Congressman Sam Graves, who's a Republican, who is ranking member on the, the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Congresswoman uh, Sharice Davids, a Democrat on the Kansas side, and again, senators on both side, on both states helping to push. So this is one of those instances where we were able to mobilize um, local elected leadership, our congressional delegation, and they were hugely impactful and really helping us get to the top of the list. And uh, I really can't thank them enough for their efforts. That's great, Tom. Well, congratulations to you. I uh, hope you don't mind if we check back in with you in a year or two and see where you're at on the project and keep us updated. I think people all across America are rooting for great success for you. Well, at a time that's um, really, really hard for lots of transit systems and, and just the, the public at large, it's nice to have something positive to look forward to that we're still as transit agencies planning for the future, doing big things, uh, setting ourselves up to be successful. It, we can be so focused and locked into today's challenges, it can be hard, uh, but it's really, really important that we keep as professionals pushing the envelope and, and planning and building for the future uh, because we as, as transit professionals help you know, pave the way for, uh, for the cities and, and that are to come. And uh, it's just been an honor for us to have an opportunity to be able to do it here in Kansas City. Wonderful. Tom Guerin, Executive Director at KC Streetcar Authority. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Comforts Corner. Thanks for having me, Paul, anytime. Hi, this is Mike Bismar, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. When we reflect on great managers or leaders that we have worked with, what is it that set them apart? More often than not, it was that they listened and or treated you as an equal and an important part of the end goal. In many workplaces, there are leaders who strongly believe in job shadowing or cross-training and understanding how vital this can be to having interdepartmental and company cohesion. Again, these are functions of listening, empowering, and appreciating feedback and talent. Too many times, we've all seen workplaces that have stopped celebrating successes, and the only communication comes in the form of negativity. 
morale starts to quickly slip. I remember the first time I ever had a manager come to me and ask me to fill out my own employee evaluation of myself and that they were going to do one also and we would work together to formulate a final for HR. I was blown away for a couple reasons. First, it gave me insight to the exact metrics I was being evaluated on and I was able to easily see where I had opportunities for improvement. It was also very empowering to provide my own feedback and communicate openly about how we would set goals moving forward. Moving forward, I was never afraid to provide feedback nor receive any from that particular manager and thoroughly enjoyed the rest of the growth I experienced working alongside them. We all have great stories of people we have worked with or leaders that have made an impact. And the one commonality that continues to resonate in many of these stories is that the people that made that biggest impact were inherently kind and you always felt they were willing to listen. Thanks for listening to me. Kindness is cool and have a great week. Thank you for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, part of Transit Unplugged, where we bring you a fresh podcast every Wednesday, starting now in 2021. It's been a great show today, and now we're to the portion of the program where we talk about the future of public transportation. Something that's coming up in the future is the virtual Think Transit Conference. This has been one of the leading transit conferences uh, in the United States or North America for the last several years, I've been involved in it. It is sponsored by Trapeze, my employer, and it includes normally four to 500 people coming together to talk about transit technology. We've been having uh, executive summits and lots of fun at these each year. This year, because of COVID, uh, it's going to be virtual and um, still a great opportunity to grab all kinds of key information Uh, It's going to have different types of elements, five tracks, keynote sessions, solution center demos, networking opportunities. And the theme of this year's conference is connecting communities through technology. If you want to find out more, go to the uh, website, which is trapezegroup.com forward slash think transit. Take a look at it and sign up and uh, I'll be involved. I think I'll be giving a keynote speech this year and uh, hosting some other events while we're there. It ought to be a blast. Hopefully I can see you there coming up very soon. And then nextly, I wanted to uh, talk about my children's book, The Future of Pub- uh, Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. It is some about the future of public transportation, but also the past. It's been, it was a bestseller. The book was uh, on Amazon earlier in the year. I think in October when it launched, it was, uh, it was number one for that first week on books about public transportation. I was able to put the book together with uh, an illustrator, Sudeep KP from India. And we worked together via Zoom during the peak of the pandemic, uh, which was last spring into the early summer. I've had a lot of people ask me about the book. And you know, I really wrote the book for my grandchildren. And I dedicated it to them for my grandchildren. The future is yours. We have five and one more on the way. My wife, Lisa, and I do. And um, I didn't see any books out on the market, really, that were focused on kids, you know, like five to, ages five to 13, that would tell them about public transportation and really the history of it and why it's important. So today I'm gonna read through the book for you. It's not that many words. It's a lot of real colorful, great graphics and pictures which grab kids. The very first page, I decided to make a coloring page. So it's a a black and white page with a picture of a bus on it. And it says, color me, make the future public transportation yours. So that way a child can get personally involved in the book right up front. And the first page is, uh, it says 1830 was a magical year for public transportation as the B&O Railroad got started in Baltimore, Maryland for passengers. And then at the bottom of the page, it has a fun fact. And that's something um, my daughter, Melissa, 
who's 20, suggested to me that I do. She said, Dad, I remember back when I used to read kids' books, the ones that had little bubbles that had, you know, a did you know or a fun fact, those are the ones I really liked and they kept my interest. So I did that in this book. So in this first page, which of course is about the B&O Railroad, which by the way, started right down from my office, like one block away from my office in Baltimore where I was CEO of the MTA there. Uh, the, but the fun fact is the very first steam locomotive was the Tom Thumb steam train, which raced a horse but lost when it broke down. So a fun fact for kids. Page two, in the late 1800s, big cities like New York City and London also had a horse-drawn carriages called omnibuses to carry people. And so it's a bright, colorful picture of that. And by the way, the previous picture had a, had a picture of the horse racing the Tom Thumb Railroad. So this fun fact is, did you know these horses that, that drove these omnibuses, they ate their weight in food every day and left their manure all over the streets, which wasn't fun for people walking. Then a lot of horses got sick with horse flu, so cities moved to electric-powered vehicles. Kind of interesting, huh? They got, they got their own flu bug back then. The next page says it has a big picture of a steamship in it. In the 1850s, large steamships carried goods and people between ports. The next page, I ran by Andy Byford, who was CEO of uh, you know, TFL. They call him the Transportation Commissioner for Transport for London after he left New York. And it's a picture of um, the, the London Underground or the tube, the subway there. And it says the world's oldest subway got started in London, England in 1863 and was called the London Underground or the tube. 40,000 people rode on the first day. Now millions ride. It's a picture of kids standing by uh, the train. And that's something else we've done. We've kept basically the same characters of children in each picture. I wanted young people to be able to picture themselves on the vehicles in public transit, usually with an adult. Um, but uh, anyway, that's something that's on each page. The next page is really historical, especially for those of us here in the U.S. On May 10th, 1869, the first transcontinental railroad was completed at Promontory Summit, Utah, with a dedication ceremony that included a golden spike. Now people could travel all the way across the United States by locomotive. And the thought bubble above it says, did you know, train time schedules became confusing because many cities had their own time zones. So railroad companies divided North America into four time zones. And in 1918, Congress made them the official time zones for the United States that we still use today. I've had a lot of adults, people that even work at transit authorities and stuff tell me, oh, I didn't know that, 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 you know, the time zones in America were set by the trains, really. And then there's another fun fact. And the picture is of the, uh, the spike driving ceremony. And it says, fun fact, the spike was made of real gold. And when the first two railroad leaders swung the sledgehammer to hit the spike at the dedication ceremony, they missed it, which is true. Look it up. The next one is a look at cable cars in San Francisco. Hopefully you've had a chance to ride them. I have, they're awesome. Cable cars came to San Francisco in the 1870s and helped people get around the city and its steep hills. And the did you know thought is cable cars don't have their own engines. Powerful motors in barns at the end of the street drive giant winding wheels that pull cables in a trench beneath the street under the tracks. The cable cars have big grips that latch onto the cable and that moves the car. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I researched for this book. Next page. After the 1880s, electric streetcars became popular and helped people ride to markets and work in cities like Berlin, Germany, and Washington, D.C. Did you know? Streetcars are powered by electricity drawn from overhead electric lines called catenary wires through a trolley pole, also called a pantograph. This type of train is now often called light rail or a tram. Now, that's a very important thought bubble there that I put there. I wanted young people to be able to start getting 
some of the lingo, some of the nomenclature that we use in the industry. And I wanted to make sure also that they understood that, you know, in some cities, it might be called a light rail or a streetcar, like in Kansas City, it's a streetcar, right? But in Baltimore, where I ran it, it was called light rail. But you go over to Melbourne, Australia, and they call it a tram. It's all basically the same thing. And I wanted to make sure children got a handle on that. The next page says, the first rapid transit system in America was in Chicago. It was an elevated or L train built in 1892 and continues to run till this day. The fun fact is, trains were used to take people to the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. Read a lot about that in a book this year by Eric Larson. If you didn't get a chance to look at that book, it's amazing. Next page, the great blizzard of 1888 made people in New York realize they needed an underground public transportation system. So in 1904, they opened the first subway and that was nine miles long. Did you know they used concrete tubes under city streets and iron tubes under the rivers for the subway to travel underground? The next page is an homage to my father. My dad told me the story that when he was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, New York, for one token, he could ride the subway out to Coney Island. And so I've got a picture of a token, but the token itself, it's a drawing, is a token that I brought to the artist from Baltimore. Uh, that one of our old tokens, United uh, RY and Electric Company, Baltimore. It's a gold token. Looks awesome. And the the color the word the color is red, and the words just say, "For a few pennies, you could buy a token and ride the subway anywhere in cities like New York." Again, grabbing the fascination of children, I think. So that's it. That's it. You get the gist of it. I may try to read the rest of it another time, but I wanted you to kind of get a gist of what the book is about. It does go into the future and talk about what's coming next with vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, etc. But I really think right now coming out of COVID, hopefully we are coming out of it uh, as the vaccine uh, gets out there, that um, we have to make sure that our children don't get a negative connotation about public transportation that they stay positive in their thoughts about it. And that's really also, I think, a great use for the book right now, especially for those of us who work in the public transportation industry. It's available on Amazon. It's in um, Spanish and Portuguese and English and soon to be French, thanks to a friend of mine, uh, Greg at UITP, who's translated it for me. And uh, so it'll be out, of, you know, it's already out of multiple languages. You can find it on Amazon under Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and beyond. And hopefully you learned something today as well about transportation and how it's worked in the past. Thanks so much for sticking with us every week here on the world's top transit podcast where we interview transit executives and get the headline news from our industry around the world and then take a look at the future of public transportation like we did today. Thanks so much. Take care. Take care.